All right, so with that, um, please open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 is where we're at. So, just uh, before we get into our study in Romans, I was uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about something. Um, how it is that if you're not going through a trial, haven't been through a trial, you're go- going to go through a trial at some point, right? That's just life. That's the way it is. We live in a fallen world. We deal with things, and we need to learn how to do that to God's glory. So I was reminded of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, which says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may, may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Um, <clears throat> so oftentimes we sometimes uh, get into this way of thinking through our trials that the Lord... Um, you know, the Lord is our strength, which he is. The Lord will help me through, which he does. He's faithful. Uh, the Lord will show me how to get through this. That is true. But he also desires to do a work in you. Not just to get you through it, but so that on the other side, you're a different person than you were when you first entered into that trial. Something that just came to mind because oftentimes we're just looking to escape from, from our trials, those things that are, that are testing. Because what they do is they prove what's really in you. When you're pressed, what comes out is a revelation to you, not to God. You, uh, you, you come to an understanding that perhaps not everything that is in you that is pressed and comes out is actually glorifying to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? I was compelled this to, to bring this to your attention because, again, if you are not in a trial now, at some point you're going to be going through a trial. And we need to learn how to go through those trials and not just think of ourselves. We need to think about the one who has purchased us with his lifeblood, the one to whom we belong to. To bring him glory. Because what he's doing in our lives is he's doing a sanctifying work. He, he wants to mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. That we may more closely resemble him in character. In how we respond to others. And how we speak and how we act. All of those things are, are important. And so something that was just placed upon me and I wanted to to bring to your attention and remind you of the work that God's doing in our lives each and every day and through each and every trial, circumstance, whether it be difficult or not difficult, but he's doing a work each and every day. So uh, this morning, <clears throat> we're in Romans chapter 4, and the title of this morning's message is Justified by Faith. Justified by by faith. And so we'll start out by reading uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something. 
to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to him as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Father, we desire to understand what we just read because it was, it is very important. Oh Lord, we tend to want to earn things. Lord, that's just our inclination. Lord, we want to boast about that which we have accomplished. And yet, When it comes to salvation, when it comes to righteousness, Lord, it's imputed to us by your grace. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand the faith of Abraham. Because without faith, it's impossible to please you. Help us to express that faith in a way that brings you glory by giving us a deeper understanding of what exactly that is and how it is that we can walk by faith and not by sight. And so we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this all in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, and here's my desire. As as I I read through and I studied uh, James chapter 4, we can, I want to give you the sense. I want to help you understand exactly what it is that the Lord is saying through this chapter, because it is very important. Uh, This word justified, we'll learn what it means. Now, Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. David was quoted he was a psalmist who wrote here and who, whom it was that was referred to. Um, he was quoted here. But it's really a quote of the Lord as David was only used to write that which the Holy Spirit was writing through him. Because David knew that he was justified by faith and not by works. Being justified means declared or made righteous in the sight of God. 
meaning that a person who is justified has a right standing before God, looked upon by God as if that person had never sinned. Quite honestly, that's beyond comprehension. That's something that really I can't fully grasp, only that the Lord has paid the due of my sin in full on the cross as he shed his blood. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin. Remember that in the first three chapters, it was established that the pagan, the moral person, the religious person are equally guilty of offending God and falling short of the glory of God. Each and every group is equally guilty of the sin against God, falling short of His glory. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is why Paul, knowing what it was to believe that a person was justified by being not justified by being a Jew or keeping the law, now knows and now knows that there is no way one could perfectly keep the law and therefore gain salvation and righteousness apart from God's grace was passionate about the gospel. So he knew at one point, listen, the apostle Paul was someone who looked at his heritage, his lineage, and thought that's an advantage. Salvation only comes to the Jew. It's by keeping the law that we gain righteousness. And that is our inclination. We tend to believe that we are self-righteous. At some point, we can fill ourselves with so much knowledge and so much understanding of the Word of God and apply it to our lives, and we start looking at others as if they perhaps are... They're not saved at all. We have that tendency. Just as the Apostle Paul did. And yet, he was humbled on the road to Damascus. The Savior himself confronted Paul. There was nothing that Paul had done. There's nothing that Paul had kept that could earn him a spot in glory. So this is why the Apostle Paul was so passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's offered to everyone, to the Jew and the Gentile. That's why... We see in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Paul is explaining how the advantage that the Jew had was that they had the oracles of God. We, we talked about this, right? That if they had any advantage, it was because they had the very word of God. It could be like you and I saying, we have an advantage over someone who does not have the written word of God. It's been entrusted to us. To us, and it is, it is an advantage because we can look in the word of God and know God's character. We know that he is faithful. 
that he loves us with an everlasting love. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that he has made a way for us to be with them for all eternity. They had an advantage and Paul was explaining to them, yes, the advantage is that you had been given the oracles of God. And there was indeed value in having been entrusted with the covenant of circumcision because God intended it to be a confirmation of a righteousness obtained by faith and not by the observance of the law. This is why James writes, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith also faith apart from works is dead. James 2.26 We know that works uh, doesn't justify, but it is the seal or the confirmation of a faith that is genuinely possessed by a person. We, y'all don't like hypocrisy, do you? Uh, The person who says, do as I say, not as I do. Absolutely not. You want consistency. You want to be able to trust someone, to... Uh, know that they're genuine, right? But is that found in you? Are you consistent? Are you found faithful yourself? Because although works doesn't justify us, it, it does demonstrate a faith in the Lord and that we love Him through our obedience to Him. If you don't have works or a life that reflects a desire to bless and honor the Lord, then James says your faith is dead. It's dead. The belief that one can only obtain that which he has earned has been so deeply ingrained in our psyche that God knew that it would be difficult for people to understand that salvation is only known by his grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf. Thus, we have the explanation here this morning how Abraham and David both knew God's imputed righteousness through his grace apart from the law or the observance of it. Uh, It would have been easy to say, listen, just basically a couple sentences, right? That, That would have, should have been enough for us. We are justified by faith, not by our works period. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, period. Let's move on, right? But God has examples for us to look to. A consistency in salvation that's from Genesis to Revelation. Justification has always been by faith. Not only through faith in Jesus Christ is one relieved of God's wrath and knows God's mercy, but we also have Jesus' righteousness imputed to us. That is, as we were bankrupt, it was assigned to our account. It was credited to our account. If you had zero or a negative in your balance, now we have a positive, unlimited riches imputed or given to us in Christ Jesus. A person who is at one point spiritually bankrupt is now in Christ, listen to this, 
a co-heir of God's riches and glory. So two things, two things that I want to point out this morning is number one, faith justifies man. And secondly, grace glorifies God. So faith justifies man and grace glorifies God. Let's start out with what we just read in in Romans chapter 4 verses. Actually, we're going to be covering uh, 1 through 15 for this section. Now, something that we need to learn, as it says there in verse 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, Abraham, we need to understand, he was the most revered, he was the most respected and admired man among the Jewish people. Uh, to, to Abraham was given by God the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham was the father of the faith. And so he was looked to, and it's pretty interesting as, as I read through and I, and I studied a bit more as far as the perspective that the Jewish people had of Abraham was, he was almost like a deity. It's interesting. Because they believe that Abraham actually observed the law perfectly before it was even given. Perhaps by divine intuition. He, by some rabbis, was even considered to be perfect in all of his works with the Lord. Imagine that. So, take that perspective, that kind of a mindset, and think about what Paul was saying. Back in chapter 3 of Romans, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he also gave them all kinds of scripture to back that up, that they knew very well, they were familiar with. So, when Paul established this through Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 20, that no one is righteous and that no one seeks after God, no one will be justified by the law, but rather one comes to the knowledge of sin through it, he was saying that Abraham was included. Even Abraham knew God's justification by God's grace as a gift. And it was received through faith. Abraham knew it wasn't by works. It wasn't by observing the law. It wasn't by observing the covenant of circumcision. Paul was making it abundantly clear that even Abraham had nothing to boast about. Nothing. At least not when it came to the Lord. He hadn't contributed not one bit to his justification. He hadn't earned God's righteousness. It was imputed to him. Abraham had nothing to boast about. Paul goes on to say in verses 4 and 5, this whole... struggle between works and faith, as he says now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
Now, logically speaking, Paul was explaining something that was obvious. Something that should have been really known by the person at some point, knowing that we really can't earn righteousness, we can't know righteousness because we fail miserably. We fall short all the time. It's impossible to keep the law. The one who works does not receive pay and say it was a gift. When was the last time that you went to work, uh, worked, I don't know, 40, 60, 80 hours, and you got your paycheck, and you're like, wow, I wasn't even expecting this. <laughs> this, is, this is an unexpected gift. This is wonderful. Listen, I would have done this for free. Does anyone do that? Not at all, right? What do you say? I, I've earned this. It, there was this agreement, and, and it was actually owed to me. It's not a gift. But righteousness cannot be earned. No one deserves it. And it definitely is not owed to anyone. Righteousness is only known by a person through faith in Jesus Christ apart from works. That, that just, again, it's kind of like, okay, we need to start thinking differently. We need to come to an understanding of what God's telling us. In fact, if we talk about David, we talked about Abraham. So, so Paul also quotes Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, referring to King David. And so he's telling them, hey, listen, David even knew this. He says in verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is, this is apart a from the observance of the law. You guys, y'all know what David did, right? David was not a perfect man. And yet he knew this very truth right here. It would, this is good news, guys. This is, this is great news. When we come to an understanding of this, you know what happens is, you know, as James says, faith without works is dead. What we begin to do is we begin to give to God ourselves in such a way that it brings glory to Him because He first loved us. What we do and who we are takes on a whole new meaning. We will serve the Lord with gladness and joy in our hearts because we have the hope of heaven through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died on the cross for us, being our propitiation. In other words, being the satisfaction of God's wrath against our sin. He redeemed us. He justified us. And we start to behave, to respond differently. We start to desire things that bring glory to God. Not fulfilling the flesh, but walking by faith that we may bring glory to God. In fact, we sacrifice self. We gladly sacrifice self because it is our reasonable service. 
That's what it is. It's just what we ought to do. It's a proper response. David knew this. Abraham knew this. Paul knew this. The question is, and this is, what, this is why it's important, why the Apostle Paul brings it up. It, it all has to do with timing. When was Abraham counted as righteous? Was it before or after the circumcision? The covenant of circumcision. This is really important or else it wouldn't be in Scripture. Before. And Paul makes his point by referring to when Abraham was counted as righteous by God. That point. Genesis 15, 6 says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Well, what exactly did Abraham believe? Well, for that, let's turn back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Um, if we could just think of the oldest people you know, a couple that are childless, but had been given the promise by God that it is through their son that they will have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. Because naturally speaking, physically speaking, at some point, we are unable to have children. We, we are past the childbearing years and there's just a physically, it's, it's impossible, right? But with God? But with God? Okay. All things are possible. Abraham was old. His wife was old. And yet what God told him, Abraham believed. Is there anything in your life that God's, you see in God's word, and yet you're still, you're still sweating it, you're still anxious, you're still filled with worry and anxiety. You're still uptight. Well, <clears throat> for Abraham, he believed God at his word. 
that he had chosen him and that the Lord would be indeed his shield and his reward, that God indeed would give him a son from him, his own son, from his seed promised through him to bless the nations and for his descendants to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He would bring him into the promised land. Future, future would bless him with so many children that they would not be able to be numbered. Abraham's faith rested in the Lord, period. That, again, these are just statements. There are truthful statements to where, again, we can just make that statement and put a period in that. That's it. So do you, do you find peace in that? Do you find rest in that? Are you content with that? But we'll go on because these are examples that would benefit us, would bless us. Because Abraham's faith rested in the Lord, even when he didn't see any physical evidence, but knew that God was able and will do it. And God accounted righteousness to Abraham because of his faith. Do you know how many years before the covenant of circumcision? Fourteen years. It wasn't even like just recent. It was 14 years later. And that is found in Genesis chapter 17. Therefore, Abraham is the example that God's righteousness is imputed to all who believe, whether Jew or Gentile, for Abraham believed God before the covenant of circumcision, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God had promised Abraham to be the father, listen, of spiritual descendants. Those of the faith. Those who walk by faith in the Lord and not by the adherence of the law. Abraham was the heir of all that God promised, not by the observance of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You see, salvation is known by God's grace through the expression of one's genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is what God uses to impute his righteousness to a person's account. It is credited to the account of the person who expresses belief. And the question for us is, do we, is this the, the kind of belief that we have? Is it, is it a genuine belief? Do we have that faith in God? But there's more. Number one, faith justifies man. But secondly, grace glorifies God. <clears throat> Verse 15 and then we'll, or uh, 13, and then we'll continue on through the remainder of the chapter. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, uh, faith is null and promise is void for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. <clears throat> that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. 
in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words as... Uh, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, listen, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I love this example of Abraham. Again, it's just wonderful because the Apostle Paul, as he's, as he's writing this, is, is bringing to our attention a man who, whom God justified. But he imputed his righteousness not because of anything that Abraham did. He didn't earn anything. It was simply because he believed God. Again, that's sometimes hard to believe. That's hard to understand. And at the same time, it's reality. It's truth. Abraham is our example of a man who expressed an unwavering faith in God's promises and even grew stronger when things appeared outwardly impossible. That's key. That, that is key for us, for you and me. At that point where we, where we want to um, express a sense of being defeated, like, uh, I'm sorry to say, but even like have this victim mentality. Yeah, that's, by the way, that's a, that's a horrible thing that is like a plague today. That's victimhood. Everyone plays the victim and all of a sudden it's these victims that be, become heroes and we want to emulate those people. We got it all backwards. That's, that's the enemy whispering in our ears. I'll play the victim and you'll get the most attention and you'll be, you'll be elevated. That's what happens today. Well, Abraham could have done that. Oh God, you promised I'm a hundred years old and it just, I don't know how it's going to happen. And you know, he didn't do that. <laughs> this, this man, as, as the years went on, it says, as we read here, that he was unwavering. In fact, he even grew stronger in his faith because outwardly things seemed impossible. You know, it's in those moments to where we have certain situations and it's like, well, I don't know if it's really going to happen. I guess God's answer was no. That's not necessarily true. There there are many situations that... it. it God allows them to get to the point to where this is impossible. With man, this is impossible. And then God gets the glory. You see, Abraham believed God could give life to the dead. 
uh, as, as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Abraham believed that as he called on him to sacrifice his son, he believed, he believed what we just read in Genesis. He believed that, yes, it is through my son. Isaac was finally born. And if you promise through him, my faith is unwavering. It's just grown stronger. Not only did you give him to me at a time in my life to where I could physically, I was, it was impossible for me to have any children. Sarah also, I mean, he said he, she was as good as dead. And so was I. <laughs> Don't say that of your spouse, though. Just never say that, guys. Just a, a quick uh, encouragement to you. But really, that's what he saw. But then he was unwavering. At that point, he believed that even if he did sacrifice Isaac, that God was, would raise him from the dead. Why? Because he promised that through his seed, he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands of the seashore. That's the kind of faith that we need. Do you really share the faith of Abraham? If you think you have a strong faith and yet are full of anxiety and worry and concern about your life, then we need to think again. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 18 <clears throat> says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told so shall your offspring be. This means that Abraham didn't have the hope of the world. He didn't hope like the world because that's no hope at all. But a trust in something seen and not simply in God's word. So it's in contrast. It's not the same hope. Uh, The world hopes in things that are seen, tangible things. And yet God says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen but believed. Abraham hoped and he also acted. Obedience, you see, is faith in action. Isaac did not happen. Okay, so think about this. Abraham and Isaac, they were really old. Isaac did not happen by immaculate conception. And so, it had to be the faithful, believing act of a husband and wife coming together in order for Isaac to be conceived. You understand what I'm saying? At some point, they could have given up, and yet they did not give up. They just kept going. And this is what we see in verses 19 through 22, which says, And he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He believed and he acted on that belief. That, again, is something for us 
to also express in our own lives. We say we have this faith. We say we believe. We want to honor and glorify the Lord. Well, it's proven by who we are and what we do and what we say. They go together. We got to walk by faith and not by sight, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. In other words, we trust in God's word even when we don't see it physically. We believe that he is faithful and his word is true. As God's grace is appropriated by faith, it glorifies God. So all of this coming together, it was all glorifying to God. God did the impossible. He was good for his word. He is faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so he brought about that which he promised to Abraham. And Abraham simply believed him. It's not a blind faith. You know, sometimes even within the church we say, well, you know, we don't see everything and therefore it's a blind faith. No, it's not a blind faith. There's enough evidence to prove that God is faithful. It's not a blind faith. There is enough that has already been fulfilled and continues to be fulfilled as far as God's word is concerned. And so it is never a blind faith. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. With that, we go to verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, the Apostle Paul was explaining something, and it was leading to someone. It was a faith that Abraham had expressed in what God had promised him. But it was brought to a crescendo with Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's brought to that. Our faith expressed in our Savior, Jesus Christ, will give us the hope of heaven, will give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. Do you believe God who raised Jesus from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus atoned for your sins on the cross and was raised from the dead for your justification? Just as God said. Because that's a grace that glorifies God as we receive that which he freely offers. Salvation through the sacrifice of his son who paid for your sins and mine completely. Only a faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross is what saves. It's not a a belief that Jesus existed, that he lived historically. That won't save you. It's not a belief in his works. We've talked about this, how it is that, you know, well, I believe in his miracles. And so that's what I've come to receive as, you know, perhaps something for me. No, no, what he's ultimately offering you is not... uh, 
a salvation from the effects that you've brought on yourself. It has to do with an eternal hope. It has to do with an eternal forgiveness, a redemption. Um, he, he wants you to know forgiveness of your sins completely. He wants you to believe salvifically that salvation would be received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And we're referring to not just like living a good life. We're talking about, he's he's referring to salvation. Not only should we know it at at a moment, the miracle of a moment is, is, is when we know salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, but that that would be expressed day in and day out. And it becomes stronger and stronger that you become immovable in Christ because you see God's faithfulness and you want to bless and glorify him. Is the, that's the evidence of a saved life. It's fruit that's produced. Faith justifies man. And grace glorifies God. When you look around, what do you see? When you look around at the world, what do you see? Are are you depressed because of all the darkness, the evil that's around you? My brothers and sisters, do not allow yourself to go there. I see a a world filled with opportunity. A world that needs the light that can only be given through Jesus Christ. Uh, I see a world that is in desperate need of the good news of Jesus Christ. When you consider your circumstances, who or what do you trust in? Who do you believe? Who is your refuge? Who is your strong tower? Who is your deliverer? Who is your savior? In whom do you place your trust? Because all of this will help you gain a better understanding that your forgiveness, your salvation, is a gift that God has offered to you. It is known by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by any work. So you simply receive and then you respond by the manner in which you conduct yourself thereafter. It's all by the indwelling Holy Spirit that seals you for the day of redemption and keeps you until the day that you go be with the Father. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that by the expression of our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that not only can we be saved, redeemed, but, Lord, we can also live victoriously in our lives not as victims, not as people who complain, murmur, grumble, are filled with worry and anxiety, but a people who express a, a faith in you, believing that you are our strength and you are our hope. We are content in you. You are our satisfaction. 
And so, Father, help us, Lord, to live lives that express a faith in you. Just as Abraham, just as David, just as Paul, just as James, just as Peter, all of them, Lord, they are examples for us to follow. Lord, as we come to know your love, I pray, Father, and I ask that you would help us to express a love toward you. So we are grateful. We are joy-filled as we are your children. And I pray that anyone who's here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that this morning, Lord, they would have been drawn to you by your kindness, your grace. There's nothing they can do to earn salvation. But I pray, Father, that they would have learned at this very moment that it's a yielding, that it's a, a, a reception of that which has already been done. Because Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, past, present, and future. For us, all we do is we we believe we receive that. We simply ask for forgiveness, repent of our sins, and follow you. I pray, Father, that today would be the day of salvation for anyone who does not know you. And for the my brothers and sisters, that you would help us, Lord, by your word, to walk in a way that's glorifying to you. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name.